Last week, I began a series entitled Run to Win. And over the sermons that I'm going to preach in this, this series, there's going to be a little bit of overlap as I target specific passages of Scripture and do what's called expositional preaching as I go through the passage and pull out what it is that God is saying to us in each of these passages. And so there are a number of things that will be similar in some of these passages, and therefore I will address them as we go. But the Bible tells us that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. And so when you find some great idea that's found only once in Scripture, sometimes it's really a great idea. Sometimes it's not really what the Scripture's saying if it doesn't say it other places. So we're going to look at a number of passages. Today we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I, I read these during my message last week. But I want to dig in to them today. It says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Today, for just a little bit, and I may mean that today, maybe just a little bit, but I want to preach on this idea, running with endurance. Look at your neighbor and say, run with endurance. I bless you. You may be seated. I, I, you can be seated. I, I don't know if you can tell by looking at me that, that I, I don't really like to run. I don't know if you ever noticed, runners have a, typically, let me say at least typically, runners have a certain body type. They look a certain way. Not always the case, but, but I am not built for running. I don't like to run. Now, I love to play sports, and uh, my advanced age now, I, I am 49, by the way, so next year will be much more sad. Uh, maybe it's time to celebrate, also a time to be sad as I hit the 50 mark, but I love to play sports as long as I can stay healthy and don't have all kinds, manner of injuries and things of that nature. And it seems like the last three years, it's been one thing after another. I was telling somebody this morning, uh, in October of 2018, I ran from first, I walked from, from the home plate to first base, pitching was horrible, playing softball. I ran from first base to second base at about the third step in. I got two level two calf strains in my left calf. And uh, never had that before. It took about six weeks to heal. A few months later, I hurt both Achilles' heels. And I was like, man, I just got to quit doing this. But I, I, I like to play sports as long as I can stay healthy. But I do not like to run. And in fact, I can't understand people who go out and run for fun. It, it just never was something of interest to me. But, but there are people that do that. And we are, the Bible says, in a race. And specifically, when the Bible talks about us being in a race, it, it talks in terms of a foot race. The, the analogies that are given and the, the various parallels that the writers of the Bible give are about a foot race. And so I, I, don't, I don't like foot racing. Auto racing would be good, but 
foot racing, not so much. But in this, this Christian walk, it's important that we have endurance. It's important that we understand that we are not running a, a sprint, but we are in a marathon. And I will dig into that a little bit later. But you, you may be familiar with the story of King Saul. He starts out as a, a good king. The Bible says that he has the heart of a, a farmer. He has this heart of a shepherd. He, he, he has a good heart. He has a heart after God. But after he becomes king, something changes in him. And he develops the heart of a king. And he begins to see himself as being high and exalted. He see, begins to see himself as being the one that is in charge. And so over time... After serving God and after having followed God, he begins to tell God, in essence, what to do. And he begins to disobey direct commands of God. It's not about starting the race. It is about finishing the race. It's about, it's about having enough endurance to get from the beginning to the end. There is nothing that you get by starting a race, but you have to finish the race in order to get the prize. And I'll dig into that in a couple of weeks when we look at 1 Corinthians and what it says about this. Our, our text today follows Hebrews chapter 11, of course, and, and you may be familiar with Hebrews 11. It is what some call the hall of faith. It is a list of, of, of men and women who accomplished great things for God. That they, they saw miracles and they saw signs and wonders and they saw deliverance and they saw all manner of wonderful things that God had done in their life. They have gone on to their reward and now Hebrews 12 follows that. And it starts out with this word, therefore. In light of everything that has gone before, in light of all of that wonderful things we've talked about of these people, it said, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses. This is the first essential in running the race, the Christian race well, is to remember our audience. Because we have this cloud of witnesses, all of these wonderful people that have gone on before, all of these people who have seen God at work in their life, all of these people are sitting around in heaven is the metaphor that's being used, and they are watching us run our race. But they didn't have an easy race. They're watching us. They're sitting in the stands and they're watching us run the race of life as we follow Jesus Christ. But, but these Old Testament saints, they had battles. They faced captivity. It was, in fact, the pattern of the Old Testament, that Israel would go into captivity because of their sin, and then somebody would begin to repent and call upon God, and God would raise up a leader, and that leader would help lead them out of captivity. And those are the people talked about in Hebrews 11, these people that God raised up who saw mighty things done. But it wasn't all good. It wasn't all exciting. It wasn't all miracles. In fact, Hebrews 11 ends, the last nine verses end with a different twist. Let me read it for you, verse 32. And what more shall I say, for time will fail me if I tell of Gideon 
Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions. They did all of this great stuff. They quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and then it kind of begins to change a little. And others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yea, it's also chains and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sown in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground and all these having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God hath provided some better thing for us so that apart from us they would be made perfect. Ultimately, what all of that says is there were people who saw great victory and then there were others who were put to death because of their faith, but they died in faith. They didn't give up. They didn't turn back. They continued in their race until the end. And it is those people, both the ones who saw great miracles and the ones who died in faith, that is that great cloud of witnesses that are looking on to us saying, you can make it. You can do this. You can accomplish what God has for you. You can run with endurance and finish the race today. Anybody thankful that you have a great cloud of witnesses that are cheering you on and saying, you can make it. Let me just tell you this, you know, what? during COVID, when there were no fans in the stands, home field advantage went away. Because there's something about us that if somebody's cheering us on, and they're going, yeah, you can do this. You can make this. Or if you're at Arrowhead Stadium, whatever it's called now, you're, you're at the Chief Stadium and you're on defense, and they're chanting defense. There's something that just, I mean, it helps you to perform better. This is what the analogy that Paul is giving here, if you believe Paul wrote Hebrews. Sorry, the writer of Hebrews, we're not really sure. It's probably Luke, actually, but that's a whole different story. But, but this, this idea that they are cheering us on, therefore seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, they are cheering us on, saying, you can make it. You, can. you don't have to just start the race and not finish. You can finish the race. They're cheering you on, and they're cheering me on today. And that, I don't know about you, but if they can withstand being thrown in a lion's den, and if they can withstand persecution, I can withstand somebody going, I'm not sure I believe what you're saying. I'm not sure I like that, or slam the door in your face. That's nothing compared to what they went through. And when I look at them and say, they, they could make it with a lot more difficult circumstance, how come I can't do it? And I'm convinced today that I can do it, and I'm convinced today that you can do it because we have a great cloud of witnesses. Remember the audience that's in heaven cheering you on, saying, you can make it today. Why don't you give the Lord a hand clap of praise right now? 
But since the writing of the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews is primarily focusing on these Old Testament saints. But now we, almost 2,000 years later, not only do we have that great cloud of Old Testament saints, but we have a great cloud of witnesses that are New Testament saints as well. And the people all throughout history, those who suffered resistance and had pushback, and those who suffered persecution, those like James who's tossed off the edge of the temple to his death in around 49 A.D., or, or Peter, who is getting ready to be crucified, and he says, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. So they crucified him upside down. Or Paul, who was beheaded after making a long trip to Rome, finally gets his audience with Caesar, and he's put to death by the edge of the sword. Or of John the Revelator, who they tried to put him to death over and over. They boiled him in oil. That didn't work. And they put him out on the Isle of Patmos, and he didn't die out there, and he finally died as an old man. But he was persecuted, and he, he was abused. But they are saying, you can make it today. They're saying, we can do this. Remember our cloud of witnesses. If they can do it, so can we. The second essential that you need to understand, and we find this in that same first verse, it is, if, you're, if you look in the app, you'll see the way my outline does it. It's 1B. And let me just interject this in. When you see me use that, or you see other people use 1A or 1B or 1C when they're, they're referring to a verse, it's whenever a verse is kind of divided up into multiple sections. And you can see on the screen behind me that this verse is naturally kind of split into three different sections. The therefore all the way to surrounding us. And then let us lay also aside all the way to entangles us. And then that last piece, that last phrase. It's kind of three phrases that you see there. And so just if you see that in commentaries or when you're reading or you see that in my notes on the church app you understand what i'm talking about so point number one remembering our audience it was that 1a but point number two is this that we need to remove the hindrances those things that are encumbering us and keeping us from running the race i don't know a lot about racing but regardless of what kind of racing you're talking about, weight matters. If it's an auto race, they're, they're trying to get as much power as possible with the lightest weighing vehicle. Stripping it down, taking out all of the extra stuff that they don't need for the race and changing out the body panels to a, a lighter material and even trying to make the engine as light as possible to put out the most power so that they have the best chance of winning. And I have a friend of mine, he's really into the bicycle riding, and you can spend a lot of money on bicycles. And the ones that are expensive, they're really strong, but they're also really light. You can pick them up with almost one finger. Everything is as light as possible so you can get the most speed and the, le the least amount of encumbrance or hindrance. And, and then when you see people running shoes that weigh almost nothing, shorts that are almost not there, 
They're trying to get rid of all the resistance and get rid of the wind resistance and get rid of the weight resistance. And it is that metaphor the writer of Hebrews says, let us lay aside every encumbrance. King James says, lay aside the weight. Let's lay aside everything that's going to keep us from running the race. That we need to lay down some things. And in this case, it is specifically the sins that will distract us and the sins that will slow us down and the sins that will keep us from reaching the finish line that God has for us. That we need to lay aside things that will cause us to turn away from Him, that will hinder our relationship with Him. And he says here, it's that sin which so easily entangles us. I don't know if you know this, but you don't have to work real hard for sin to creep up in your life. It so easily entangles us. And he uses, the writer uses the word entangles here as something that's, that's it's not just a little bit of resistance, but it's, it's wrapping itself around you and it's keeping you from, from being able to run the race It's like riding a bicycle in the sand. It's slowing you down. You can't really do it very well. And just like in your yard, maybe, definitely in mine, I have to work real hard to grow grass. I have to do absolutely nothing to grow weeds. And that's that's what sin is like. You don't have to work real hard for sin to creep into your life. All you have to do is not be diligent, and it will be there. All you have to do is not be really focused, and it will be there. It easily entangles us, and it weighs us down, and it gives resistance, and it pulls us back. And he says, lay aside every encumbrance. And the sin which so easily entangles us. When I saw that phraseology as I was working through preparation for this message, I I thought of the parable of Jesus about the sower and the seed. When Jesus tells this parable, unlike most of his parables, he actually comes back and tells them exactly what he means by the parable. And he said this, he said, A sower went forth to sow. And sowing seed is different than planting seed. A sower, he's just throwing it everywhere. The sower went forth to sow, and he said, Some landed on the wayside. And the fowls of the air came in, and they ate the seed that was by the wayside. And some fell on rocky soil. And some fell among thorns, and some fell among good ground. And especially, it is that thorny ground that came to mind. He says, this the seed that fell on thorny ground, he says, it would take root. Unlike the rocky soil, it it would try to take root, but there was no real depth there because there's a rock right underneath the surface. But unlike that, or unlike the wayside where there's no moisture and there's no ability for it to really grow, he said the thorny ground, when the seed got on the thorny ground, it took root. It had moisture. It would grow. 
But he said the thorns would come in and they would entangle themselves around that new plan and they would kill it. And he said the meaning of that is this, is that when the word of God takes root in your life and you're growing, if you're not careful, the cares of this life will come in and they will kill out the word of God which is trying to grow in your life. Sometimes it's not even a great amount of sin, it's just life itself and you get busy and you get to doing things and the next thing you know, you're not praying or you're not reading your Bible or you're not going to church and you're not rubbing shoulders with the people of God because you're busy with life. It's what happens. That's why a man is to lay aside everything that would entangle us. Put it away from you so that you can run the race. The third thing our text tells us is this, is that we are to run with endurance. And it is this running with endurance that is where I got the title from the message because it is actually this phraseology here, this particular phrase that is the, the pivot or the king pin, as you, if you would, of this passage. Because we have these witnesses, let us do this so that we can run. Let us run with endurance. The race that is set before us. I already told you I don't like to, I don't like to run. And because I don't like to run, I may run for about a hundred yards. Not going to win any medals. But you know, every once in a while, if I'm in a hurry, I may jog or, or run for a short distance. But I can promise you this: you will not see me out running around the block. Over and over. We are, in essence, in a marathon. We're not in a sprint. Anybody can do a sprint almost. May not set any world records, but there's nobody in this building I would think that couldn't run from side to side. But you might not could do that a hundred times. And the text and the scripture tells us that we are to run with endurance. Because it's not a short race. It's not a race that just you start it one day and you finish it the next. It is a long race. The Bible says that the race is not to the swift. But he who endures to the end, shall be saved. It is an endurance event. It is not about starting, it is about finishing. I know a lot of people who have started following Jesus. You could probably name people as well. They started out, man, and they're, they're gung-ho for Jesus. But in a few months or a few years, their passion has waned. The cares of life have come up. They've been encumbered about with sin, which has entangled them. And they fall out of the race. Because it is a matter of endurance. It is not a matter of speed. And if you run a race of any length, 
It's always about pacing. You don't start out in a marathon by sprinting. The Christian life, though, is a little bit different than, than that because oftentimes when somebody first comes to Jesus, they're in a sprint. It's new, it's exciting, they're growing, they're telling everybody they know about Jesus, and they're giving it all they've got. But they sometimes grow tired of that. And before long, they're no longer in the race. And I would tell you, You, you may have a theology that is a little different than this, but you see it over and over in the Scripture. It's not about starting, it is about finishing. That just because you get in the race doesn't mean you're going to make it to heaven. Why else would the writer say, let us lay aside all of these things and run with endurance? Because it's not a matter of just, I got in at one point, and because I got in the race, I'm automatically going to finish. It is a race of endurance. It is a matter of enduring until the end. Fourthly, because I like alliteration, I chose the word refocus on the prize. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. New American Standard, which is what is on the screen, says fixing our eyes on Jesus. King James says looking unto Jesus. At the end of the day, the only way that you and I will finish the race is if we are looking at Jesus. That we're keeping our eyes and our focus upon Jesus. Jesus is the source of our strength. We don't make it through this life without Him. We don't make it through the race of Christianity without His strength helping us. But it's more than just our strength, but it is also He is also our example. He is the one who paved the way. The Bible says He is... He is the first fruits. He is the, the one who has gone the way so that there may be a lot of others. That he, in essence, in, in a biblical language, is, he is the trailblazer. That he paved the way. I read a lot of Westerns. You probably you remember that about me if you've been here before. And I've never experienced this, so I, you know, I get things from reading. But if it's snowy and you're, you're trying to get through the snow, some difficult and deep snow, you don't want to be the one that's the first one through the fresh snow. Because going through the, the two-foot snow, if you're the first one there, it takes more energy and it takes more effort because you're, you're making the path. That you're the one that's got to break down the snow and make it where it's no longer two feet. It kind of mashed it down. It's now about six inches. So the people that come behind you, they are now walking in your footsteps. And they're walking through the path that you have made. And it's much easier for them. Jesus is the one who has blazed the trail. 
Not only did He just show us the way, but He has made it easier because we don't have to endure the cross like He did. We do have to pick up our cross, which is saying no to ourselves and no to our flesh, but we don't have to go to the cross like He did. He has paved the way so that you and I can follow Him and get to heaven. And aren't you thankful that we're not doing this by ourselves and doing this on our own, but we are doing it with his help and with his leadership and his guidance. We are following in his footsteps and we are going to make it to heaven because we need to keep our eyes on the prize. He is the object of our faith. But in addition to being the object of our faith, he is also the source of our faith. God has given to every man a measure of faith. I mean, you can't get it any better than that. That God says, this is what you need to get to heaven. Let me give it to you. He is the source of our faith. And if you don't want to get, if you don't make it to heaven, it's not because he didn't do it all of his job. It's because you just chose to reject him and push away and I don't need what you're doing. That if you keep your eyes on Jesus, you will get there you will receive the prize, which is an eternity with Jesus Christ. As the musicians come, I, I have two household-type chores that I don't want to say I enjoy them, okay? But if I had to do a chore when I was a kid, my favorite chore was vacuuming. Not vacuuming a floor like this, but vacuuming carpet and the reason being is because you could see where you've been and you could see your progress you could see not only your progress but you could see how much more you had left or how little you had left Jeremy that's why I like mowing as well man you see the lines and see see the progress it's that sense of accomplishment you can see what you have left to do you're almost there. It's the same way that when we keep our eyes on Jesus, everything else kind of fades away. And we man, this is how much further I've got to go. That it's all about Jesus. That if I don't keep my eyes on the prize, I'll get entangled with other things and I'll get hindered by other things and I'll fall into sin. I got to keep my focus on Jesus Christ. Four essentials of running the Christian race. Remember our audience. Remove the hindrances. Run with endurance. And refocus on the prize. There is, of course, a race of life that everybody is in to some extent. They are they're here living they're, they've got their own race to run but more importantly than that is when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ we're not just running a race of life but we're running the Christian race and it's of so much more importance because it's not temporal it is an eternal race that when we die it's not over there is an eternity that we're going somewhere. 
and how we run the race here determines the eternity we have then. And whether we're in a relationship with Jesus Christ and whether we have obeyed the gospel and followed the gospel is ultimately what's going to determine that. But as I said, it's not a one-time just, well, I did it, I checked off some boxes. I signed up for the race. It's about enduring to the end. If you're unsure of how to get in the race today, Jesus is pretty clear. You have to follow Him. And you do that by following Him in His death, burial, and resurrection. So you don't have to, you don't have to go to a cross. You don't have to be crucified like that. But Paul says you crucify your flesh when you repent. You say, not my will, Lord, but thine be done. That I'm going to follow you. I'm not going to follow my way and my path. I'm going to follow your way and your path. That's how we repent, but not only that, but we are to follow him in burial through the waters of baptism. That we are to be submerged in water in faith, calling on the name of Jesus. And when we do that, he washes away our sin, takes them all away then we rise to walk in newness of life through the infilling of the Holy Spirit evidence of speaking in another language, a language we do not know and did not learn. That's how you get in the race. But it's not a one-time check mark. It's not a thing you put in a box and say, I did this. But it is an ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. It is a race of endurance. It is a continual following Him, continual seeking after Him, continually pushing aside the encumbrance and the sin that does so easily entangle us. I've never, you can stand together, I've never ran into anybody anywhere whose name was Judas. Nobody names their kid Judas. We use that word when somebody betrays us. Oh, they were a Judas. But Judas, he who betrayed the Lord, he was one of the twelve. He saw the miracles. In fact, not only did he see the miracles, he was one of the 12 that were sent out two by two to share the good news about Jesus. He's one of the 12 that came back and even the devils are subject to us in your name. He performed the miraculous through the name and power of Jesus. Saw the miracles. He walked with Jesus. He lived with Jesus for three years. But he didn't finish the race. It's not enough to start. It's not enough to experience Jesus. It's not enough to do the work of Jesus. But it is he who endures to the end. The same shall be saved.
about you, but I want to make sure I run this race with endurance. I don't want to just run well. I don't want to run fast. I don't want to just say I was in the race. But my prayer, not often enough, I, Lord, let me finish. Don't let me run and not finish well. It is a race of endurance. And as they sing, would you lift your hands right now? Would you just love the Lord? Would you thank Him yes, for putting Lord. you in the race today? Would you make that commitment? Serving Him and following Him to finishing this race and to run with endurance. Will bow down and say you are king.